0: are listening to the sermon audio podcast from heights baptist church in alvin texas for more information about our church you can find us at heightschurch.org going to my grandmother's house was very routine but it was very special Uh, my grandmother was the only grandmother I knew. It was the only living grandparent I had. Uh, Now, I was born and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina, where my uh, family is from, my dad is from, my grandmother lived uh, the majority of her adult life in Raleigh. And so it was routine to go to her house, but it was also very special because uh, being the favorite grandson, Okay. (laughs) whenever I was sick uh, and my parents both worked, Uh, and and I was too young to stay home by myself, I would go to Grandma's on a sick day at school. Now, going to Grandma's by yourself was fun because I got to play at the pool table all day long. Uh, She would fix lunch, and we would sit and watch The Price is Right with Bob Barker, right? And then after The Price is Right was done, we would watch Perry Mason, Black and White reruns, and Andy Griffith's show. And then in Grandma's kitchen... Right to the left of her microwave was her jelly bean jar and her spice gumdrops. And I could help myself to all of those snacks because, there again, I was the favorite grandson. You know, Grandma doesn't live in that house anymore because she went to be at home with the Lord November 11, 2011. You know, I just think that God has a way of often reminding us that this earth is not our home. That God is preparing a better place for each one of us. God is preparing a better home. And so this morning we're starting a new series. It's a three-week series called Heaven, Hell, and Here. We're going to take a look at the here this morning. Why it's important to live now for Jesus Christ. Over the next two weeks we'll discuss and talk about what heaven is like and what hell is like according to the Bible. But let me just ask you this. Is it important to live for Jesus now? Because I would say this, when you understand what's to come, it changes the way you live today. When you understand what's to come, it changes the way you live today. And so the Apostle Paul, when he is opening up chapter 5 in this letter to the Christians in Corinth, he says something in verse 1. He gives us a metaphor, and this metaphor has a lot of hope in it. He says in verse 1, For we know if the tent... That is, our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so this, this metaphor, I think the, the people of Corinth would have gotten right off the bat. See, this is still a very nomadic culture. There's a lot of people that traveled and lived in tents. And so Paul is saying that this earthly body we have tents our soul. This earthly body is a tent for what's inside of us, our soul. And and he's saying there that there's a day that this earthly body will be destroyed. Uh, Another way you could say that is torn down. If you go camping, uh, you know there comes a point at the end of the camping trip, you've got to tear down your tent. You've got to strike down your tent. And so Paul is referencing death there in verse 1, where he says that this one day this earthly body will die. Will face a physical death. But here's the hope and the metaphor. He says, But we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, a house compared to a tent, a house is going to give us a picture of permanence, a picture of stability. You know, you might have fun camping in a tent, but the first time a storm comes, you don't really love the tent. What do you want to be? You want to be back in a house, right? And so, a house, you have that building, you have that permanence. And Paul says that the building that we have is made by God, it's in the heavens, it's eternal, it's not temporary. So what he's pointing you to is the moment in time that as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ that you receive a resurrected body. Paul would later say in this part in verse 8 that we want to sometimes right now be at home with the Lord. though we're still here right now. When a believer in Jesus Christ dies, their soul goes to immediately be with the Lord. When Christ comes again on the last day is when you receive that resurrected, perfect, new body. And so we see this hope that we have today currently. But, but knowing that hope, how does, how does knowing what's to come change the way we live now? So if we go, okay, as believers, that, that's what's going to happen one day. How does that affect my everyday, day-to-day life? Well, notice what Paul says in verse 2. He says, for in this tent, so in this earthly body, we groan. We long to put on the heavenly dwelling. He says in verse 5 that God is preparing this heavenly dwelling for us, this this resurrected body for us, this perfect body. He's preparing that new home for us. Verse 5 says, He's doing that. I I love in verse 2 when I was... Thinking about it this week. For in this tent we groan. Every time you get out of bed and that knee pops, you groan. Right? Every time you break a bone, you pull a muscle, you groan. What's Paul getting at? Every time we get sick, we groan. Our bodies are screaming out for redemption. Every groan that we make, is another reminder we need a Savior. Every sprained ankle, every time we groan physically, that's our physical body screaming and reminding us we need a better home. We need something to happen. We need someone to act on our behalf. Because remember, let me just take us back to the beginning. Okay, Just just go back into the beginning in creation. When God created everything, everything was perfect. Right? And he created Adam and Eve; everything was perfect. Yeah, can you imagine that? No back pain, no knee pain, no groaning physically, no getting sick, no allergies. Wow, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, right. No allergies. I mean, not, none of that. None of that. Everything perfect. No groaning. what happened man sinned against God when man sinned against God he disobeyed God what entered into our world sin entered into our world physical death entered into our world spiritual death entered into our world all of that came into our world and now our physical bodies are crying out and groaning for redemption reminding us constantly that this tent is not permanent That there's something better to come. See, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. What you and I earn, that's a wage, for our sin is death. We earn spiritual death. We earn physical death. But thanks be to God who gives us that free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we see God is promising us That as believers in Jesus Christ, even though right now in this current life we groan, we cry out for redemption, we cry out for something more, that God is doing something that is to come. That's what verse 5 says. He's prepared for us this very thing. He's preparing for you a better future. He's doing it. This time next year, we have another presidential election. And I know you guys are all excited about the Facebook post. You're all excited about the commercials. You're all excited about all the debates, right? I mean, you're just giddy for it, aren't you? Some of you are nervous right now because anytime I bring up politics, you go, (gasps) where is he going with this? Right? But aren't we just thrilled we get to sit through another election cycle? (sighs) I was thinking about this the other day. You know that every politician, no matter which side of the aisle you're on, every one of them will make you a promise and a guarantee. If you listen to them, you listen to them in the debates. If elected, I promise I'll do this. If elected, I guarantee taxes won't go up, right? I guarantee it. I promise it. They will do that. They will make those promises. They will do that. What is different between their promise and verse 5 of God's promise? What's different? You know what's different? God doesn't break his promises. And God says, here, I'm promising you this, and I'm going to give you a guarantee it's going to come through because I'm putting a deposit in you. See, he says in the end of verse 5, did you notice? He says, here's the guarantee. He who's prepared us for this very thing is God, who's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. So God says, here's how you can trust my promise. Here's how I'll guarantee I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. I'm going to deposit in you as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. So he says, I'm going to put me in you. I'm guarantee I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. So now as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have his spirit within you. You have that Holy Spirit living in you today. And God says, I'm preparing something else for you. So knowing what's to come, how do we live now? Knowing what's to come, how does it change our here? How does it change our present? Well, look what he says in verse 6. He says, so we are always of good courage. Knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Paul gives you three ways to live your here right now. Gives you three ways right there to live your Christian life right now, knowing what's to come, knowing what's next. He says, here's how you live today. He says, number one, live with good courage. Be of good courage. You notice that in verse six and verse eight, he uses the same phrase twice. Be of good courage. If you take your eyes and just go up to verse 14 of the uh, following chapter, he's going to say that or excuse me, verse 16. He's going to say, so don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So Paul's saying, don't lose heart. Be of good courage. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep pressing. Keep going. Something better is to come. Don't stop following Christ. Easier said than done, isn't it? Are there some days that we get down and we get depressed? Aren't there days where we we want to just stop? You know, a marathon is 26.2 miles. I've never ran a marathon. Don't ever plan on running a marathon unless something is chasing me and then I might just weigh my options, right? But for those of that have run marathons or maybe longer distance, you you might identify with this. A marathon is 26.2 miles. There's something that marathon runners will tell you. It's called hitting the runner's wall. They'll hit their wall about the 18 or 20 mile mark. And what's happened physically is they've used up all their glycogen levels in their body. And so when all that glycogen is done, then their minds are literally telling them, Stop. Their bodies are physically beginning to shut down. All parts of them are saying, quit, you can't go any further. I wonder how many of you have hit the spiritual wall this morning. How many of you are just saying that's enough? God, I can't take one more thing. Lord, I have enough on me. Lord, not one more bad phone call. Lord, not one more test that's gone wrong. Lord, not one more financial thing that's, that's happened. Lord, I, I can't do this anymore. That's why Paul says in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Every time I read verse 17 of chapter 4, I trip over the words light and momentary affliction. Paul is saying in chapter 4 that there are times we are crushed, we are perplexed, we are hurt, we are hurting physically, spiritually. Seems like everything is imploding upon us. And then in verse 17, he says, For this light, momentary affliction, cancer doesn't feel light. Sickness doesn't feel light. Autism doesn't feel light. Loss of job doesn't feel light. None of that that we go through ever feels light. But why can Paul say it's light? Because he says in verse 17 this, it's light and it's momentary because compared to glory, it doesn't even compare. What you go through now is momentary compared to the eternal glory that you experience as a believer in Jesus Christ. That is heavier. That is weightier than this light momentary issue you have today compared to glory in what God will do on your behalf. It's light. So, verse 6, verse 8 of chapter 5 be of good courage. Don't quit, keep going keep pressing so he tells us right now to live our lives with good courage to keep plugging along verse 7 he says walk by faith not by sight listen walking by faith is not walking in the dark sometimes people say that well I'm just going to take a leap in the dark by faith no that's not faith walking by faith is understanding we have concrete evidence of what's to come it's right here in scripture We are walking by faith in things we cannot yet see, but we are walking by faith following those who have gone before us. We're walking by faith knowing other men and women of God have completed their race. And we're following along in their testimony. We're coming to Scripture and we're saying, here's what the Bible says and God promises us this, therefore we're walking by faith. But then notice the third way we're to live. Verse 9, he says, So whether we're at home or away... We make it our aim to please Him. We make it our aim to please the Lord. You know uh, an aimless Christian life would be a wasteful Christian life. As a believer in Jesus Christ, that's your aim, your focus, your purpose, to please the Lord. Whether you're here or there, wherever you are, to please the Lord. That's what Paul says. I'm living to please the Lord. But I wonder how many of us have been lulled into thinking that this life really doesn't matter. I wonder how many of us have been lulled into the trap of what you do as a believer in Jesus Christ really has no consequences. How many of us are living directionlessly and aimlessly just meandering through our Christian life? No, Paul's saying I've got an aim, I've got a purpose, and here's my purpose, to please the Lord. Why is that Paul's purpose? Number one, he knows what's to come, and because he knows what's to come, it changes his now, it changes his here, but then he knows there's another thing coming. There's something coming that every one of us will experience, and therefore he makes it his aim to please the Lord. Did you notice verse 10? He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The bema seat or the judgment seat, it was the tribunal seat in the Roman courtroom. It's where the governor would issue his verdict. But notice what Paul says in verse 10. This is not Pilate's judgment seat. This is not the court of public opinion's judgment seat, that this is Christ's judgment seat. And Christ is Savior, but Christ is also judge. And verse 10 says it this way, you must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You don't appear to the judgment seat of Christ in a group, in a crowd. You don't get to just stand in the back and maybe bend down and hide. You don't get to sit like you may in a classroom and figure out where to sit where your professor won't ever call on you. You will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You appear individually. That means today you have a courtroom date with Jesus. So what is that judgment all about? What is verse 10 in this judgment seat of Christ? Well, this is a judgment of your salvation. It's a judgment of your salvation. We are told over and over and over in the New Testament that your works matter. That what you do as a believer in Jesus Christ matters. Now, now let's be clear, because I know some of you are already down that line of thinking, and I'm just going to go in and answer the question. Some of you are thinking, "Well, hang on, I didn't think I was saved by my works." I, you're not. The Bible's very clear on that. You can't do enough good to ever outweigh your bad. Period. You can't. I mean, just let just play along with me on this. Let let's say you you sin today, okay? You stub your toe and you take god's name in vain all right so that's that's a sin all right so you you sin and say all right you know what i'll do enough good works to outweigh that bad just to get it kind of equal maybe go a little bit above right so i'll I'll, you know man i'll i'll let my watch wife watch hgtv instead of the texans i mean like that's got to get me some heaven points and You know, I'll cut the grass, I'll fold the laundry, I'll, you know, do something nice for somebody at work. And then for a second, you're like, you know what, man, I did it. I got above my sin. I was good enough to do that. You know what, you just committed the sin of pride. Boom, you're back (laughs) down. See that? Your good is never going to outweigh the bad. Because the moment you think you've done it, you're back down at the bottom. So, So what is this judgment of salvation? Because the Bible's clear, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. I, I love these verses. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. So you may not boast. But notice what Paul says here. So salvation, you place your faith in Christ, what Jesus has done on our behalf. That's how you're saved. You're trusting in his work. But notice what Paul says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared before him that we should walk in them. So the judgment seat of Christ, when you come to his judgment seat, it's a judgment of whether or not you really are saved. Because Paul says there, you're saved by grace, by by faith, not not of your own works. But God is preparing works before you so that you may walk in them. Meaning what you do as a believer in Jesus Christ shows whether or not you've been saved. Your actions have consequences. Your actions matter. Your deeds are not the basis of your salvation. They are the proof of your salvation. Your deeds are not the foundation of salvation. That's Jesus. But to stop and to think, well, I can be a Christian and not live for God is not biblical. It's not right. If you have the attitude of, I'll just call myself a Christian, I'll meander aimlessly through life without pleasing Jesus, then you stand in judgment before Christ one day. And he may just expose you never were saved to begin with. Because what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2.10 is as believers in Jesus Christ, we live for Christ. So therefore, an aimless Christian life its a wasted Christian life. And So this morning, let me draw this down and ask for a decision from two groups. Number one, for this group, Christians, some of you have been wasting the life Jesus has given you. You are wandering, you are meandering, you are living aimlessly, you are living for yourself, and you are not living for Jesus. Let me call you to repent. Let me call you to turn back to Christ. And let me call you this morning, if that's you, To come back before your Savior, Jesus, and ask for forgiveness. The great promise of the Bible is this, that when we confess our sin, that it is Christ who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Christian, if that's you, if you don't align with the Apostle Paul in verse 9 and say, my aim in life is to please the Lord, then repent. Turn away from your aimless living. Turn away from living for yourself and turn to live for Jesus. Christian, I'm going to call you to do that this morning. Non-Christian, I'm going to call you to be saved. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you will meet Christ as your judge one day. And we're going to go over this in the next couple of weeks, but we do believe that the Bible says there is a place called heaven and there is a place called hell. And of those that...